2: Days in mid July, country Sunday mornings, dusty haze on summer highways. Sweet Magnolia calling. But now and then I find myself thinking of the days that we were walking in the Alabama rain.
3: Ah, poor Jim Croce. Yes, we are going to talk about the weather in Alabama today. We're going to talk about a lot of things because, in fact, it's another Open Phones Day. And this one, we didn't really warn you about. We didn't give you any time to prepare. That was either intentional or because we forgot. I leave it up to you. Uh, But our number today, where there's no guests, there's just you and me, the number is 888 720 WNPR. 888-720. 888-720. If you're not into the alphanumeric thing or the alpha part anyway, it would be 888-720-9677. Let me kind of set a few things up here. Um, I'm a little discombobulated because usually I'm in here really like, you know, many minutes ahead of time. <laughs> and I was I was out there. <laughs> I was up there like sending emails to people, and I suddenly looked, and it was it was time to do the show. So, um, and Betsy Kaplan didn't even tell me. Usually, Betsy Kaplan comes in and says, "Hey, stupid, you're supposed to be in there," and she didn't even extend that courtesy to me today. So, um, I want to talk a little bit uh, about, in fact, what has come to be called Sharpie Gate, uh, and I want to talk about it in a larger context too. So, for people who aren't or haven't followed that or I can't believe anybody has and it's become such a thing. Uh, but uh, as, the hur- as Hurricane Dorian uh, was making its way towards the coast uh, of the United States, uh, President Trump on repeated occasions Uh, said uh, that it was going to strike a number of places, including Alabama. And he kind of doubled down on that a few times, too. Uh, He even talked about fresh data coming in, saying that Alabama was going to get it. Uh, At one point, showed hence the name Sharpie Gates, showed a a chart. I believe it's called a spaghetti graph, something like that in meteorology. But there seemed to be kind of a a little penumbra drawn in to include Alabama that wasn't uh, made using the same tools that the rest of the map had been made. By. Um, meanwhile, the National Weather Service in Alabama, not wanting to needlessly alarm the populace, was saying, there no, there's not going to be any effect of the storm here. We're not going to get the storm. Uh, and so this sort of continued for a while. And, uh, I mean, this particular sort of batting around and stuff, that was all going on last week. I think Thursday was kind of the crest of all that. Uh, But then over the weekend, uh, the NOAA, which is the sort of parent agency, the agency within which the National Weather Service sits, uh, has basically sided uh, with President Trump against its own meteorologists. It's not entirely clear. Who in the NOAA has done this? But they they basically have said that the National Weather Service forecasters in Alabama were incorrect, even though obviously they were correct. Uh, but they were somehow or other incorrect to say what they said. Uh, and, um, and I mean, to me, this is a symptom of a larger disease. Uh, and... Uh, I'll get to Ben's call in just a second. And that larger disease is a lot of different things. One of them, one of them is it's an assault on reason, right? I mean, basically, it, it, we now have a sovereign who, basic, who will adjust reality uh, to fit what he needs. He, he will simply make reality different. And then it's also, I think, a compromising and corruption uh, that is increasingly widespread in the government. Uh, increasingly, as we look around, government isn't functioning the way it's supposed to. It is being degraded in many ways, ranging from uh, the, the setting up of this highly secret Camp David Afghanistan meeting, which bypassed all kinds of basic diplomatic diplomatic uh, processes and then was just as capriciously Camp Cancelled and cancelled in a tweet, uh, uh, ranging from some of the latest news about ways in which government business, specifically military business, is being steered into Trump hotels, specifically a Trump hotel uh, in or a Trump resort uh, in Scotland. Uh, You know, this kind of thing is we're getting used to it. It is it's becoming normalized. Corruption, lying, falsification of information, um, all of it is just becoming stuff that we kind of laugh off and accept in a way that I don't think we should. Uh, And now we're faced with a looming possibility and a looming level of confusion about what we should do about it. Um, The House now seems poised to at least consider laying out an impeachment process and there are people who feel as though that's an overplaying of the hand maybe that's uh, maybe you can win an election uh, against President Trump just based on his conduct, just based on the uh, his failure to deliver on most of his promises, uh, that he's just vulnerable uh, in, a, in a way that any candidate would be and instituting the impeachment process may feel like overreach. And then other people who look at what's happening right now and think if we don't initiate impeachment— uh, if we don't at least go through the process, we don't have impeachment anymore. It's not a meaningful tool. Uh, there are so many ways in which it seems to be called for based on the facts. Anyway, lots of things like that to talk about, uh, but you can also bring up your own topics. I'm going to bring up some other ones too. The uh, number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888 720 Nine six seven seven. We've got Ben in Wallingford calling. Hi, Ben. You're on the air.
4: Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I was. Uh, I have a couple things. Um, one, we have a big uh, international climate strike coming up on se- September twentieth, yep. which will be have events going on in Hartford um, and all throughout the week. And one of the demands of them one of the strikers is that uh, governor and declared Lamont declare a climate emergency. And when he came out with this climate forum and executive order this week, it's much short of what needs to be done. And one of the things that you correctly assessed, um, I believe the wheelhouse last week was that you can't call for this climate, uh, climate change executive order while you're approving gas plants. Which are like have been proven to be bad for climate change. So, um, I just want to like kind of hype up this strike and give you uh, a little thanks for making that point, and hope you can expand on the fact that you can't solve climate change by burning more fossil fuels.
3: Well, that certainly is true. Uh, I mean, look, climate change, and, and I, I think at this point, because because there is such a thing as the September twentieth climate strike. Um, I mean, we have to acknowledge that people have grown justifiably impatient uh, and also aware that until 2021 at the earliest, um, any kind of federal solution to this is out of the question. In fact, uh, it's going to get worse, much worse. Um, uh, The latest, by the way, another example of the misuse of the government uh, is that uh, Trump's Justice Department is now uh, calling for or now threatening to initiate an investigation uh, of the automakers uh, who agreed with California to raise their emission standards, uh, they are launching. The Wall Street Journal, anyway, is saying that the Justice Department has launched uh, a, a, an antitrust investigation uh, of the uh, of the California automakers who, who rather than go with Trump's relaxed standards, um, are going along with California's. Uh, Tougher standards, at least for the purposes of California. California is such a huge market, though, it tends to kind of dictate the rest of what gets done. Uh, Trump is trying to overturn the Obama-era rule that increases mileage standards. Uh, And, you know, it's always hard to tell with Trump, does he really oppose these mileage standards or is he... Uh, just so obsessed with overturning anything that Obama did. I was listening to Mike Pesca talk about something over the weekend and I was thinking what Obama should have done is he should have done like 15 things in his last six months you know, that he didn't really care about Um, and, you know, have a rule that uh, the president should not be punched in the face every day so that Trump could, you know, overturn that and then Trump would get punched in the face. Um, But I mean, you 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 can never tell with Trump. Does he actually believe that those emission standards uh, are wrong or does he um, simply want to just smash every pot that... Uh, Obama ever made in ceramics class. But anyway, so it's not going to get better at that level. It's got to be addressed at the state level and, and the municipal level, and, and that won't be enough. But I think everything is worth trying. And then at the state level, you have to try everything, right? I mean, <clears throat> ultimately, it's hard to raise gas taxes at the state level simply because we are – basically 50 different gas stations here in America or maybe 48 different gas stations here in America. You just drive to the next place and people will try not to buy their gas in Connecticut if, if it's higher than Massachusetts or New York or Rhode Island. But um, ultimately, we have to develop more mass transit, more renewable sources of energy, get off the petroleum uh, pipeline as much as possible. And I don't mean a specific pipeline. I mean uh, metaphorically the pipeline. There's so many things that that have to be tried, have to be done. And I always say it's sort of like Pascal's wager. You know, Pascal's wager is that uh, if you act as if there is no God and then there turns out to be a God, you don't really lose that much. But if you act as if there is no God, Well, anyway, and I'm getting it all backwards. If you act as though though, though there is a God and then there is a God, you win. If you act as if there is no God and do all kinds of things that God wouldn't want uh, and then there is a God, you lose. So it's better off to act as though there is one, right? You're better off. Uh, And if you act as if there is a God and it turns out there is no God, you haven't really lost anything. So, um, And it's like that with climate change. I mean, if in fact some of the things that we try don't really succeed in reducing uh, the carbon footprint enough to slow down climate change – And most of them are worth trying, and most of them will. But they'll do other things. We'll get less dependent on fossil fuel. We'll have less pollution. I mean, almost everything that we talk about trying has some other benefit attached to it. All right. So, calls sitting on the board. Uh, Al, yeah, I'm happy to talk to Al about this. Hi, Al. You're on the air.
5: Hey. Good
0: afternoon, Colin. Um, I was just listening to go on and on about the corruption, about Trump and the corruption on the right. But I think that that is completely disingenuous. Because it totally ignores the corruption on the left. The truth is, the entire political system that we have currently is corrupted. I mean, you can attack Trump all you want for you know doing this or doing that other thing. Yet we ignore all the travesty that happened in the Obama administration. You know, Clinton and her private servers and all the kind of shady stuff that went on there.
3: I think that you know, i, I got to say I think that 's a false equivalence i i don 't think that you can really enumerate things that obama 's administration was not characterized by the high levels of almost routine corruption that we 're seeing that we 've oh, seen in the last two years You I'm, are
0: correct, you are correct, but that is simply because the narrative is focused on Trump on the election, and there 's a tantrum that Trump won there is a motivation to take him down, whereas there wasn't a motivation to take him down. Okay, Obama. now that's com- got click club.
3: that is complete nonsense. I mean, the number, of oh. people, the number of people who are going after Obama, starting with the majority leader of the U.S. Senate, right? Mitch, oh. M- Mitch McConnell said from Jump Street, Mitch McConnell said his main objective was to limit Obama to one term. That was his main purpose. He said that on of the course. record. So, I mean, the idea that there weren't people on the right, people who also had problems with a black president at, at all, that oh, there weren't... Well, a racial thing. So the the so the, no, there were plenty of people who had problems with the black president. Oh, no. So you it's you you, you think you th- you, so you, you, you think there's nobody in America who had a problem with having a black president? You think there are no racists in America? I think, oh have you don't. No. Been...
0: <laughs> you know, as, as, I am a Hispanic man. Yeah. I can tell you there are racists in this country. Is there the is there the manufactured uh, you know where we have Klan rallies like it was in the 1930s where 10,000 people marched down the street? Uh, of course not. Yes, there will always be some ignoramuses who are going to be racist and base people on the color of their skin. Generally, I think that we as a society have moved past that. But,
3: did, you, did you miss Charlottesville, man? I mean, oh, did you...
0: please. Is that, you know, another, 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 you know, seeing things from one perspective instead of seeing the whole picture? Uh, there, was a, there were some knuckleheads there doing something very bad. Another set of knuckleheads went there to do something bad. Antifa is not a good thing.
3: No, I would I would agree Antifa's not but again a false equivalent a very small group of Antifa people, a very ignorant, a very large white supremacist rally they killed a woman with a car. Those,
0: <laughs> if those ignorant jerks would have been left to protest and not given the attention that they wanted, they would have just you know, it would have been a few people protested, gone. It wouldn't have turned into the melee. It wasn't I'm not blaming this poor lady for getting run over by another idiot who thankfully is in jail where he deserves to be. I'm just saying that you know what, we we harp on one on the right We're on the left, but in all honesty, we're missing the whole forest for the trees. We really are. Uh, you know, if I this mean, were
3: if this were a normal day and a normal year, Al, you'd be surprised by how much I, I agree with you. O- over the course of my 40-year career as a journalist, I've been as critical uh, of Democrats as I have of Republicans. But I think we're in a special moment here. This is I- I've never seen anything like this. Uh, you know, I re- think it's a
0: manufactured moment.
3: It is not a manufactured moment. All of the things that are happening okay. right now, the, the things that I'm describing, are completely unprecedented. I mean, tell me, the, you know, Al, tell me the name of another president who hung on to his business interests while in office and then arranged for money to flow into those business interests from foreign governments and government agencies? I mean, whoever did that before in history? Well, nobody actually
0: that, that, well, actually, that used to be a thing, and, and we thankfully moved away from that. What do that you
3: mean, it used to be a thing? Who, Whoever, what when president... The phone, when the phone...
0: Founding fathers would enrich themselves. Look, read history. Uh, all, most of the founding fathers enriched themselves when in office. It was considered a normal thing to do. We don't do that nowadays, and I agree with you hundred percent. We do, but we do it now. We do it nowadays.
3: We do it now right. here in 2017, and 2018, and 2019. We do it. We, we and if it bothered you when the founding fathers did it, it should be bothering you now, Al. Oh, and of
0: course it does. However, he, he went through a whole dog and pony show where he divested himself of any controlling interest in his business.
3: which is completely. Cabool- I mean, look order. if you're if you're. Kidding, are running the business you haven't divested yourself yeah, yeah I mean that I'm that right. that's an illusion he hasn't divested himself he knows exactly which foreign governments are giving him money giving him money privately to his businesses right now he knows which foreign nationals yeah what's the end Clinton Foundation comes after Clinton that's a that's a that, you know there oh. there's no Clinton there's no Clinton foundation while Bill Clinton was president Um oh. No, there wasn't. Uh, there's, oh, okay, well, the
0: PRC wouldn't be as far along as it is technologically if it wasn't for the Clinton administration selling them secrets. But uh, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories. But what, what just you know, that, touch
3: about that does sound like? That did sound like a conspiracy I, theory. I, Al, okay, I'm going to have to wrap this up because I just can't spend the whole time talking to you. But so another precinct heard from, but I, I don't know how you look at the situation that we're in now with the the rise of hate, with the daily mo- moments where we look in the newspaper, we can't believe what we see. I, I've, you know, I've lived for 64, almost 65 years now. And I lived through some terrible times in the history of this country. I would say from 68 to 1972 was in many ways worse than it is now. Uh, Nixon certainly was in many ways as bad as Trump. But I I don't think I ever lived through a time where people just kind of learned to accept it on a daily basis. I mean, back then, there were bombs going off all over the country. There were you know, there was Kent State. Thank God we haven't had a Kent, uh, Kent State replica uh, in this era. There were horrible things going on that we haven't had to deal with now. But the notion that a person could so recklessly and openly defy the law uh, and, and defy logic—that's uh, the part that is new to me. Uh, you know, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I still can't quite wrap my mind around the idea that this guy gets to be president. I mean, he certainly has done enough things now to warrant impeachment. Uh, whether impeachment is a good idea or not is a separate question. All right. So, um, all right, here is Michael in Southampton, Long Island. Hi, Michael, you're on the air. Colin, how
6: am I on the air? Sorry. Yeah. I, you know, you It's of conversation. I agree with a lot of what the last caller had said about, you know, the corruption in politics has been going on for far too long. But I, I just want to know what it is exactly you're referring to as far as Trump directing
3: funds into
6: it hotels, or, or, or we, we, we name some instances of some actual occurrences where this is happening.
3: Well, the, for, okay, for for starters, the latest story is that the Army has started using his resort, uh, in, the Air Force has started losing, using his Air Force uh, in Scotland for stopovers. Where is the G7 going to be next year?
6: I don't know I'm not following with it. A G-7 Trump
3: was. resort. President Trump has announced that the best place for the G7 to meet oddly enough is in a Trump resort. Uh, and increasingly, I mean the, uh, there's there was a piece in the New York New, New York Times on Sunday about how many other interests who are seeking Trump's favor, uh, interests here inside this country, know that what they have to do is schedule their conference uh, in a Trump hotel. And all of this money goes into his private fortune. We have not had anybody do this before. We've never had a president who, while he was president, was sitting here raking in money from, from both the American citizenry and foreign nationals. Foreign nationals who come into Washington to do business with the White House—they know which hotel they're supposed to stay in. This is all—it it all defies the emoluments provision of the Constitution. Was there
6: an emoluments case brought that was dismissed?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it didn't rise—it didn't rise to the level of satisfaction with that judge. But in terms of smell test, this is money that is being received by the Trump organization which is him, that's his personal fortune and his family's personal fortune while he's president. And, you know, anybody who can't stand up and say that's wrong, I think, is making Uh, excuses. I don't
6: don't necessarily disagree with you. I think it's wrong on every level. I think it's wrong that these politicians, both past and present, when they go on the speaking circuit, they pick up, you know, six-figure fees to stand at a lecture, lecture hall or a college or wherever it may be, the, it, it, the government has devolved into this, you know, senators and and, and or politicians making millions and millions and millions. Yeah,
3: usually, I mean, first of all, I wasn't a big fan. I allowed you
6: to speak. Let me speak. It's not not a government representative of the people any longer.
3: It's not. I would agree with that. And I was not a big fan of of Hillary Clinton doing all those speeches. I wasn't a big fan of Hillary Clinton doing all those speeches to investment banks at the time. I thought it would set up a bad tone for her heading into the campaign, send a message to people that, yes, she was getting a lot of money from the kinds of people that the electorate was probably looking... To diminish uh, in some ways, so I don't think that stuff is great, but I think it is worth making a distinction between what's legal and what's illegal. What's cl- you know, what's uh, it's not illegal for an ex senator or ex secretary of state to go around accepting large fees for speaking engagements. Um, you know, Reagan in his post presidency uh, was one of the people who really started that whole practice of taking a big ticket, high paying speaking assignments. Uh, it's not illegal to do it. A lot of people do it. Uh, increasingly, I would say the Clintons have perfected and shown how you can monetize a post-presidency. Uh, it's worth a lot of money. Um, I, I think that's probably going to be the norm from now on. And, and I think ex-senators often do very, very well too. But that's different from sitting in the White House having money flow into your personal coffers as you continue essentially to do business as the business entity you were before you were president. I mean, while while you're president, it's not too much to ask that you not enrich yourself, that you not enrich yourself through the conduct of your office, but into your personal coffers. I I don't think it's too much to ask from a president that he or she not do that. Um, But that's not been the case so far. All right. We have to take a break. We'll be back.
1: Impeach him, impeach him, impeach him, impeach him. Well, let me say. Oh, excuse me. They say the only way you can reach him is impeach him, impeach him, impeach him.
3: Impeach him. But know it's what they want. Just impeach him. All right. So uh, we're back and we're taking phone calls today. It's 888-720-WNPR, 888-720. 9677. Seven. And we don't have to talk about politics the entire time. I did want to make one other political point. One of the I think important reads today uh, in the news is David Lenhart of the New York Times, um, who is doing a column that, as far as I can tell, people are just emailing all over the place right now, particularly people, you know, within the Democratic Party or people who follow Democratic politics. And Lenhart, who kind of comes out of data journalism to a certain degree, is talking about the fact that he thinks the Democrats are overplaying their hands and that they have failed to differentiate issues that work powerfully for them from issues that do not work powerfully powerfully for them. For example, uh, you know, the polls suggest that people uh, are still upset about wage stagnation. They are open to the idea of taxing the very wealthy, increasing taxes on the very wealthy uh, as a way of getting uh, more money into the general economy. Um, They are um, open to the idea of free public college. They are open to the idea of Medicare for all as a choice. They are not open to the abolition of private insurance uh, and and the institution of a total single payer system with no choice to it. Uh, They are not open to decriminalizing uh, illegal immigration, uh, making it a civil offense rather than a crime. Uh, They're not open to reparations for African-Americans. Those don't poll very well. And some of the stuff that, you know, people, Democratic candidates for president right now feel that kind of as an article of faith they have to say in these debates uh, in order to illustrate their own bona fides in what is, you know, a pretty heightened political atmosphere. Uh, Lenhart makes the argument they're saying more than they should, uh, that they're promising more than they should. Uh, They're going further than they should, that there's a way in which— You know, something that's not exactly the status quo, but not exactly as far as as the positions emblemized by Bernie Sanders uh, is going to be enough to win the election and too much might be too much to win the election. So and I'm still sorting out how I feel about that, although most of the points that he makes, I think, are pretty good ones. Um, I mean, I'm still by far more interested and more in and more excited about Elizabeth Warren than I am about any other candidate. And my guess is that Warren, were she to be the party nominee, would do what most nominees do. If you're the Republican nominee, you run pretty far to the right in the primary season. You get the nomination, you move more towards the center. If you're the Democrat, you do the same thing. You run pretty far to the left as you're acquiring the nomination and then recognizing that that the general electorate is somewhat more moderate in its desires, you move towards the center. Um, I'm guessing it would be something along those lines, too. But Lenhart's point is, is a really interesting one, that uh, a year ago, he says in polling, people looked to the Democratic Party uh, as in a positive way and as a potential source of solutions to some of the problems, and that as the debate season unfolds and some of these positions unfold, the Democratic Party's overall numbers are going down. So and and I, then I wonder what happens when you run the idea of impeachment through that particular machine you know which which thing is it you know I think it runs the risk and this is sort of the Pelosi worry right it what runs the risk of being in that category of things that don't enjoy 55 or 60 percent support, that enjoy 30, 35 percent support. You don't want the party to become enmeshed and kind of bogged down in something like that. So anyway, uh, just a thing to throw out there. But we have other things we want to talk about as well. As fact, here's somebody calling up about a movie, a movie which I have not seen. Lori in Berlin, you're on the air.
7: Hi, okay. I just that was my question. I you you've been doing a lot of movie discussions. Yes. Um, you know, you know, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood and, and all of that. Um and then there was a whole exam discussion last week, but um or nineties movies discussions I should say. But um I just was curious if you uh A if you had heard of it, two, if you or B if you had seen it and C, if you had seen it, what you thought of it, or D, if you hadn't seen it, what you think of its premise? How about that?
3: Tell, tell me again. The, I mean, I've read little things about it, but remind me of the premise.
7: The premise is um, a young man with Down syndrome escapes That's from a nursing home and runs into a small-time crook, uh, and it's kind of a, a buddy comedy uh, via um, in the vein of Mark Twain and with Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer, and they uh, they have adventures, and the goal of the Down syndrome the gentleman with Down syndrome, is that he wants to become a professional wrestler.
3: Right. And And, as uh, I understand as I'm recalling now, the young man who plays the role is a young man with Down syndrome, correct?
7: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it uh, on—so my brother happens to have Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so I saw the film on Saturday with him, and uh, he was actually pretty empowered by by seeing someone who looked like him on the screen. And so my thought—you know, I'm just kind of curious what you think about— the film and the premise, and is it a film you would be interested in seeing? And yeah. I'm just kind of curious.
3: yeah, it is. It is a film I would be interested in seeing, and I, I hate talking about a film I haven't seen. Uh, I, I do. I like the premise. The one thing that I would say is that this is now two weeks in a row that something like this has come up, and it makes me wonder if maybe there's more to say about it. But, I mean, you know, there's this long history of... You know Dustin Hoffman playing Rain Man. Uh, there's a whole history of conventionally abled actors playing uh, roles, playing very delivering very highly mannered performances. Uh, there's was the uh, is it I Am Sam? Is that the one where Sean Penn plays? I, I think uh, a, a person. I think, not, so. Yeah, so, I think so. So. I think so. So you know, I think the uh, so the, the, it's similar to what's said about a lot of other kinds of casting. You know, what would be wrong with having somebody who deals with downside? Who has, uh, who is a person with Down syndrome or a person with autism playing one of those roles. And so last week, a, a woman called up to talk about a play that's being done around here that's uh, about um, Alzheimer's disease uh, and, and maybe other forms of dementia as well. And the cast of the play are people who are dealing with early stage dementia. Uh, and, right. I remember that. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, not to lump everything in together, together but I, I'm really intrigued by that idea anyway, that it doesn't have to be Audrey Hepburn playing a blind person. It could be a blind person playing a blind person. You know, that 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 we constantly look to actors to go out and win their Oscars for uh, pretending that they have problems that real people have, but that they don't. Well,
7: I think and I think what was so refreshing um, about the film was that this this young man, his name is Zach, but I forget the last name mm. and um he just he he really carried the movie, and they the movie never played down to him. Mm-hmm. It was always much more um, you know empowering him, stretching him with all of the things he could do rather than focusing on things he couldn't do well and um and the the caregiver that went after him catches up to them. And this, I'm not giving any spoilers to here, but does catch up to, to him and the gentleman that he's run away with. And um, he she kind of goes into that mode of like, okay, buddy, you'll be okay, and we've got to, you know, take care of this and that. And the guy who's been traveling with Zach says, why are you treating him like he's retarded? Like, mm. just treat him like he's normal. And that, to me, that spoke volumes, because I feel like this could really blow the doors off of traditional special ed where why don't we let the kids set the glass ceilings rather than us setting the glass ceilings. I, I
3: love I love what you're saying. Uh, and uh, you certainly, uh, I have no choice now. You've shamed me into seeing this movie. I probably would have seen it anyway, though. <laughs> but uh, so, first of all, Lori, thanks so much for calling up about it. Thanks for getting me thinking about something I haven't thought about. Uh, and we're going to move along here. We've got David and Richard, but we're going to go to Noel in Fairfield next. Hi, Noel.
2: Hi Colin, how are you?
3: Good, you're on the air.
2: So I really am interested in when and what is the line in the sand to just jump ship and move to Canada. I like
3: say when do we just? Like, I, it? I say kind of. I mean, obviously, it's a personal choice for everybody. I say, first of all, right. it's not as easy to move to Canada as it used to be. You know, they they basically. Oh, I
2: know. I've been doing my research.
3: Yeah. <laughs> they they basically want you know sort of people who are going to raise their families in Canada. They don't want old geezers like me anyway going up there. Um, and. And I think also, you know, people of goodwill, people of good heart, those are the people who are the people who want to move to Canada are the people that I really want to have stay here and fight the good fight and and and. You That's know, what
2: my daughter tells me. <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean, look, I worry. I worry that there are aspects of our polity that we'll never get back, things that have been so badly damaged uh, and dysfunction that has been so significantly normalized that we'll never get it all the way back. But the only way we have a chance of getting it all the way back is if people like you don't move to Canada. Okay. All right, so you How have to stay help here. Me? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but visit Canada by all means. It's a lovely country full of very nice people. And Montreal, although don't visit Montreal much later than November 1st and then much earlier than April 1st. I've been up there twice when it's sort of in that really – the thing about Montreal is – and maybe you should think about this, Noel, in general about Canada, although there are places in Canada that are not as far north as – Sort of parallel cities uh, in in the U.S., but like in Montreal, this if it snows, say on November twentieth, which it is very likely to do on or around November 20th, the snow just sits there. It doesn't – you know how here they can snow, and then it'll melt, it'll go away, then it'll snow some more, and you get some snow, it melts, it goes away, and then after a while, you know, it, the snow gets built up. That starts in late November, and it just doesn't go anywhere, And 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 some of the sidewalks don't really get shoveled. There's, like, just permanent snow on there forever, so – You might not want to move to Montreal anyway, and I don't want you to, but you should visit. It's wonderful up there. All right, here's David in Hampton. Let me give out our phone number again, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. All right, Uh, David, you have the floor.
5: Hi, Colin. I was just wondering if you had seen a piece uh, on CNN this weekend, and it itemized this has to do with the administration moving three billion dollars from the defense department to the border wall and it is an itemized list of everything every project that would be canceled and I started in on it and I wasn't giving it too much thought but then I kept scrolling and scrolling and it's a gut punch it's just unbelievable and I'm just curious if you had seen that,
3: I, I didn't see the CNN thing. I've been following that story. We talked about it a little bit last week too, you know. And so, let me just bracket what you're saying for a second. And I'll come back to it. One of the things that was struck me today today. President Trump is saying that he was joking about Alabama. Well, obviously, the president, there's, if you go back over the timeline of his, of his statements about this, it's clear he's not joking. It's also true that a president should never joke about something as serious about as whether a state is going to be ravaged by a very powerful hurricane. He clearly wasn't joking. He also has claimed that he was joking, or maybe his aides have claimed that he was joking when he said, uh, apropos of the thing that uh, you're calling up about, David, uh, that uh, in terms of seizing land for the war. All, uh, that his age should do whatever they have to do, and uh, if they get in trouble, he'll pardon them. Uh, he claimed that that was a joke too. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, right now, this is one of President Trump's big problems: is that he hasn't hasn't delivered on very many of his promises, not in a way, anyway, that is. Has amounted to any great gain for anybody, and and the biggest looming failure is this wall, you know, that was such a centerpiece uh, of his twenty sixteen rhetoric, and it's just not there. It's not close. He probably has no choice but to loot the defense budget because that's the biggest budget within. I mean, it's kind of hard to shut down um, projects in in other sectors, uh, and also I think he's he's running a lot of this through the Army Corps of Engineers anyway. I think so. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised.
5: <laughs> well, I, th- I thought it was very, very good of them to run that because it demonstrates that, you know, this isn't pulling money away from buying $300, you know, wrenches or something like that. These are really significant projects all over the world. I mean, in a lot of countries, not just this country, and they're significant, and um it's just uh, its a travesty, and it, just to think that he can do this is of great concern. But-
3: well, he can, he will, uh, and I, it's unlikely that it'll be stopped. I mean... Uh, to go back to the original question, I mean would you fold that in with some of the arguments for impeachment? It's not clear that he's doing anything exactly illegal um, Alright, let's go to Richard and then to Roy uh, but we need more women to call up eight 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 seven two zero wnpr Not that we don't like men, we like men, but we like women too uh, Richard, you have the floor
1: Oh uh, Colin, uh the previous caller really um, caught up my concern. Uh, the broader concern I have is the total abdication of the Congress and the Senate uh, with respect to discussing the grotesque overspending on de- so-called defense. It's not defense of course.
3: Mhm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think most Americans do see it as defense, but I, I know what you're saying. Uh, look, the military budget is enormous. Um, it's you can you know, comfortably. S- uh,
1: what is it? Uh, it's maybe 750.
3: Yeah, around seven, 750 billion dollars. You know, it's um, you know the Constitution has uh, in it some provisions about what it takes for America to go to war. Uh, well, guess what? We've got a 750 billion dollar <laughs> military budget. We can give you a war anytime you want, uh, and-, and
1: and lose it, and lose it, and lose it. It
3: and lose it. Right. I mean, we we're just uh, trying to wrap up an 18-year war in Afghanistan. Um, what and- did that cost, do you think? Uh, I don't know if it's ever been cost out. Um, I, me- I remember Joseph Stiglitz at the time uh, of the Iraq invasion in-, in 03, which is back in the news today, too. Um, uh, u- ultimately, I think he projected out the cost, and this he did it over a series of years, uh, a-, a trillion dollars for Iraq. I don't know what Afghanistan cost. I don't know that it would have cost as much.
1: Uh, probably more.
3: But, but I mean, another thing that I don't think has been really talked about in terms of this whole cockamamie thing where he was going to have a meeting two or three days before September 11th uh, with the Taliban at Camp David. And now he's talking about pulling out of Afghanistan, possibly with no deal at all. Uh, It's like our version of Brexit or something. There's like a no deal cessation in Afghanistan. And to me, that's an insult to everybody who who did lay down his or her life uh, uh, on behalf of the U.S. cause in Afghanistan to say nothing of the local population, that there could be 18 years of war, the longest war in history in this country that would wrap up with no deal, no understanding about what this was all about and what the ultimate result of it is, I don't know how you look grieving military families in the eye, people who lost husbands, fathers, children uh, in, in this war, and say, well, we, we did the best we could. I mean, how, how is that the best we could? Yeah. All right. Oh, so
1: I, 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 I just want to mention something that people tend to forget, and that is that George W., when the bomb hit, the, the planes hit the World Trade Center, said, I, 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 hit, I hit the trifecta.
3: Right. Well, we'll just I'm not going to relitigate that. I just we have to go to a break here. I will say one thing. 2003 never goes away. So Joe Biden is having problems today because, in fact, CNN is also uh, debunking claims that he made that he began to oppose the Iraq invasion shortly after the invasion. In other words, he he started to oppose. We know that he uh, he voted yes on the resolution, but he was saying basically that. He began opposing the war very quickly after the invasion. CNN is kind of, you know fly spec to that claim. It's clearly not true. I don't think you get any, if you voted for the resolution anyway, I don't think you get any credit. Uh, I, I think senators who voted for the resolution, and that includes John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, Chris Dodd, uh, Joe Biden. I, I don't think you can sort of say, you can say, well, yeah, but then I started to figure out it wasn't a good idea. We, people of common sense knew it was not a good idea. Uh, in late 2002 and early t- 2003, it was already clear this was a bad idea. And for Biden even to claim, well, I started to turn against it, <laughs> and then to claim that he did so earlier than when he really did. This is one of the problems that I re- one of the reasons that Joe Biden gives me nightmares. I really feel as though if he were to be the nominee and run against Trump, we would have two guys with very little grasp of reality hashing out their dream-like versions of what happened recently and what happened long ago. All right, we have to take a break. Numbers, 888-720-WNPR. Roy, oh, he's gone. Roy Roy was going to talk about eliminating the penny, which I thought would be an interesting thing to talk about. 888-720-9677. Let's take a break and let's return.
1: We lived in glass huts made of clay when I heard my doctor say, back up, we're moving to Canada. Everybody's going to Canada.
3: Okay, I got some people to thank. Betsy Kaplan is the senior producer and uh, the producer of this particular episode t- today uh, and has made sure that I was very well prepared to do it. And she's uh, helping handle your phone calls at 888 720 WNPR. That's 888 720 9677. Kion Wolf's on the board, making the whole show, show sound great uh, and reacting to things that you say, picking out music that fits it and all of that. And that takes, uh, well, we've had years to get good at all this stuff, I guess. We've had 10 years, as you you probably know we just turned uh, ten, so I want to quickly uh, tell you about something that's coming up a little bit later on Thursday. Betsy Kaplan uh, and Jonathan McPants and I uh, journeyed to Long Island. It was a really long day, but we've been planning, been working for about four years uh, to set up an interview uh, with Jimmy Webb, the writer who, the songwriter who wrote. Uh, well, MacArthur Park. By the time I get to Phoenix, Wichita lineman, Galveston, up, up and away. Uh, I could go on, uh, and we wanted to. I wanted a situation where Jimmy would be at a piano, and we would be in a good recording situation, so I could ask him questions, and he could, you know, play. Th- Things to illustrate his answers, so uh, we did it. <laughs> it it was a it was a long process. It was a long day, and we had a flat tire on Long Island. There was all kinds of drama. But anyway, uh, we're going to edit that show. Betsy Kaplan is going to be editing that show. Uh, we don't even know. We may have two shows there because uh, Jimmy and I talked for a really long time that day. Uh, but we we're really looking forward to sharing that uh, with you. It's something. It's one of the two things that we had on our list of things to do for literally years. The other one was the Not About To Peers show that actually aired last uh, Wednesday, Thursday while we were in Long Island. So, um, so many of our accomplishments uh, are, or many of our dreams have now been realized. Although weirdly, the one other show that's been sitting around for a couple of years— uh, is a show that Jonathan McPants has uh, wanted to do about the painters Bob Ross and Thomas Kincaid, And so we missed our ferry. We're there in Port Jefferson. We had to hang out for about an hour to catch the next ferry. We're in Port Jefferson, New York on Long Island. And we walk around and, A, there's a Thomas Kincaid store. Uh, and then we walk around the corner and there's a store with a big sort of life-size cutout of Bob Ross and it felt like maybe we just stumbled into a Black Mirror episode where all the other things that we were planning to do were there in this uh, cute little town. So anyway, that's all all to come, uh, stuff that we're kind of excited about. But thanks for listening today, too, and thanks for calling in. And let's see. I don't even know what this thing is, but I'm going to go with Jessica in Basra. Hi, Jessica.
2: Hi, Colin. How are you? Good. Um, I'm just wondering, what do you think is the best way to respond to people and get them to be a little more open-minded about inclusion for everyone whether they're poor or not, finding ways to think that maybe we can help them get out of poverty and that doesn't mean that we're automatically socialist and idiots.
3: Alright, well, okay, that's an interesting question. First of all, since you're in Basra some of the responses you're going to ha- ma- make will sound like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Little Basra joke there. It's a lot of livestock <laughs> yeah. out there. So, um, so no. I mean, first of all, is it uh, the first question? I would say, is it so terrible to be called a socialist? What's a socialist? A socialist is not a communist. A socialist is somebody who believes that government has an obligation to take care of people. Uh, that government has an obligation to deliver services. That you know, to whatever degree we can pool our resources to make sure that there isn't a huge disparity between the winners and losers in, in our society. That's a good thing. Uh, so that's for starters, it's not a terrible thing to be a socialist. I mean, socialism is used in varying degrees everywhere from Norway and all the socialist democracies of Scandinavia. And it exists to some degree or other in most of the other Western European countries. You could argue that there are things even contained within American government that have elements of socialism. It's not a bad word. It's not a terrible thing. But what you're talking about is just you're an advocate for fairness. You, you feel that thing, that as a society, we don't want a huge gap between winners and losers. We don't want people uh, who suffer in poverty, people who don't have a chance to succeed, who don't have educational opportunities, who don't have the same level of health care uh, as the rest of us, right? That's the thing that's bothering you? Right.
2: And letting people who believe that everyone has the same advantage, no matter what, that that's not really true and how to open their eyes to that.
3: Right. Well, I mean, one way, so John Rawls, the philosopher, talked about this. He said that, you know, it's an illusion to imagine that on some given day, you can just declare everybody equal, even if you institute policies that attempt to, in the moment and going forward from the moment to create equality. He said, because the problem is, by this time, there there are incrustations uh, of inequality that you know somebody whose ancestors came over as a slave who whose uh, other uh, um, uh, who is descended from people who had to live through uh, Jim Crow and reconstruction uh, and diminished opportunities is a product of a whole bunch of people a whole bunch of fathers grandfathers grandmothers great grandmothers great 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 grandparents and so on who didn't have the same as uh, um, same um, uh, Grasp a chance to get really good health care, didn't have access to the same level of, of health care, didn't have access to the same education. And so, what trickles out of that pipeline is different from what trickles out of a pipeline of relative comparative privilege. Uh, that you can't just sort of say, well, everybody's equal now. That, that no, everybody didn't start equal. People are hitting off T's that are located in different places. Um, yeah. and, and it's a hard argument to make. People don't want to hear that. But, but the, you know, like the New York Times is doing this 1619 project right now, which just sort of talks about the fact that African-Americans in this country today are the product of a highly unfair system uh, that continued to be unfair after emancipation, during Reconstruction, during Jim Crow, you know, that all of that unfairness has conspired to, to, to produce uh, the current generation. But you can't just say, well, they're equal. We decided they're equal today. Um, yeah. they still don't have the same opportunities. I don't know if that's any help at all though. Uh,
2: well, you know what? I'm going to look up that 1619 yeah. project and, uh, see what that's about and try to find some other things all right. so that I can give people something more than no.
3: <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I mean, you're obviously Jessica, a person with a really good heart, uh, who wants the best for everybody. Um, You know, I mean, I don't think you should be penalized for that. Try not to lose your temper, too, when you talk to people about that, because it's easy to do. And, you know, even in Basra, people can lose their tempers, even though it's bucolic and somewhat placid in Basra. You know, you can still find yourself getting angry, Uh, in which case, just go out into a meadow and they're very, very easily accessible uh, in Basra. Go out to a meadow and just stand there and take deep breaths until you cool down. Uh, and that's, that goes for the rest of you, too. Uh, have a good day. We'll be back tomorrow and for the rest of this week.